Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you want to go first? I, I, I can go first. I, I thought of, so the thing I thought of, I thought, I mean, I'm dealing with two things right now. One is one that I planned, which I'm going to say, but the other one was struck me right before recording this podcast, which is, you know, like I, um, like many before preparing to do something that takes any amount of time, uh, decided to go to the bathroom first. Sure. And I really, really hate that feeling right after you go for a, 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 a little pee pee. <laughs> a little tinkle. A, a, little, a little tinkle, a little, little, little tinkle in the, the, the porcelain um, where you, you know, you start packing up your belongings and you're Talking like about your junk mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, got the it, junk, got it. you put the you know uh, and then uh you pack up the carpet bag and you head on over to the sink <laughs> and <laughs> like somehow on the way to the sink you're you get struck with this like oh i think it's still have to pee i don't have to pee again <laughs> and then sometimes you're like nah and then other times you're like, okay, well, you know what? Let me just go find out. And then you you unpack again, and you're like, mm, no, I was right. It was nothing. And you're like, what? Like, I want to like stop making me feel like I have to go to the bathroom if I don't have to go to the bathroom. Um, you have a UTI. Well, it doesn't Not- hurt. Don't they hurt? Uh, they like they do sting often but like part of it too is like like it feels like you have to pee when you don't have to pee also it's a it's this is i mean <laughs> there's a be a teledoc a, for you i mean i it's just i don't want you to be a teledoc because i mean you should be getting no, paid more if I you're mean, teledocing well, right now and, but you know my degree in playwriting definitely qualifies me yeah i think so um yeah. but yeah like it it either i have had a a uti for like as long as I can remember, <laughs> um, which is possible, but surprising that I haven't died or at yeah. least had my felt some pain carpet yeah. bag removed. Like, <laughs> but that's what I want to get rid of is you calling right, it a right. carpet bag. <laughs> that's my thing. Done. <laughs> um, no, the thing I want to get rid of is. Uh, all right, and and bear. All right, bear with me, okay? Bear with me. The thing I want to get rid of, uh-huh. bear with me, is okay. <clears throat> and I don't think it's going to be for the reason that you think. Okay. The next year and a half. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, okay. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> Why do you ask? Why do you ask? Um. I am going to become the person that is the butt of of many a joke, um, mm-hmm. but maybe I should have become this person a long time ago because if I became this person ten years ago, um, I, I would be laughing my way to the goddamn bank. Um, so I recently bought Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, there was, there's, I learned some things that I didn't know because my brother texted me. He was like, Hey man, um, just so you know, Bitcoin's having soon. 
And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and then looking into it, like at first I thought it was a one-off thing, but it's not a one-off thing. And, you know, maybe our listeners are like, oh, I know everything about this. Move on. Shut the fuck up. Um, but for those who don't know, um, basically there is an, there is a, there's an asymptote on the, how many Bitcoins exist. Um, and that, and that asymptote is at 21 million. And for those who, who are wondering, an asymptote is a line that something approaches, but never crosses. Um, <laughs> but the, um, but that would be uh, 21 million. Uh, the idea being there that there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins. Okay. Period. Um, how does that, so what does that mean? The computer, the people that like mine the Bitcoin, they get a certain number of Bitcoins per hour. And every four or so years, that number gets cut in half. And that way it sort of works against inflation. Interesting. There, what happened a few days ago was the third halving. Um, now, the basically the way that it has worked across the past 10 years is that the peak of the response to the having is uh about is about a year and a half from it year and a half out um so like after the first having it went up in value about 40 times uh and then after the second having it went up about mm, ba -ba -ba, 25 times so then odds are uh, we're you know we're seeing diminishing marginal returns here so odds are they will be further diminished but you know 12 times is is a pretty good amount of times to see your investment increase so you know i'm interested in uh seeing how much my investment goes uh -huh. up so and i want to to do that you have to skip a year and a half ahead so you want to yeah Cut because out. what i'm not good about what i'm not <laughs> gotcha. good at is like oh, long-term investing and and mm -hmm. like risks you know i'm mm -hmm. not christian bale in the the big short being like mm -hmm. this is gonna work guys you just gotta mm -hmm. understand it's gonna work so like i'm i'm just sitting here you know being like you know i can't for the next year and a half just like sit and like monitor the little peaks and valleys freaking out with every little valley thinking, Oh, this is the fucking end. This is the end of my fucking life. Um, but then, but that's how like all, that's just how like all investment profiles work. That's one of the reasons I like having a managed, mm. uh, you know, investment profile is cause I just don't 
have to look at it and make the day-to-day decisions of, is this fucking going to shit? Is this fucking going to shit? Eh." And so, like, yeah, I just don't want to think about it. I just want to, I just want to get to the peak, see if the peak is as high as I I want it to be, uh, but then also be sort of paying attention for when it looks like it might be past its peak. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, and so maybe though, instead of getting rid of the next year and a half, cause you know, maybe there's other people who might need some stuff in the next year and a half. Maybe we could, maybe we could focus on that, that thing of yours of like getting rid of the desire to, or the, the like clenching nature of like the need to check it every day or, you know, because um, you know some people i'm just saying you know maybe it's a little selfish to get rid of the next year and a half just for your bitcoin oh, i don't know i, I don't know for my bitcoin maybe but uh <laughs> i think there's a lot of people who would love to see the next year and a half evaporate and so you know I think about know. It, you know fucking treatment maybe even fucking vaccines these are just things this is just like this is just things I'm earmarking into the bill. So I mean, sure, but I'm just saying I don't know that I I don't know. Maybe I'm too much of a a a realist, but I'm jumping ahead. I guess then we get the years. The year and a half did happen. We just didn't have to experience it or something. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. Personally, I know. I I I think that it's. I think we need to experience the next year and a half so we can see, learn what we can learn from especially the US our response and how how we if we just get to jump ahead then and this isn't everybody obviously because mo- many people are already like you know making changes and stuff but if we get just get to jump ahead then um then we don't we don't have to carry lessons forward as much perhaps i don't know this is not click Okay. Okay. Obviously, when I say let's skip the next year and a half, I want to, you know, basically click a button and then fast forward and then wake up again while also having made lots of wonderful decisions and had, you know, <laughs> meaningful experiences that are then in my memory. <laughs> so you, okay. You just want to be but like then, cryogenically frozen in like a VR world. <laughs> what I would Cause like yeah, that sounds great for everybody. <laughs> is like basically, you know, bit, do make, have time do like a little hairpin turn and then I can just sort of step across Without like losing the time, I want a, a time turner. Hmm. Really, that's what I want. I don't need to skip the next year and a half. Give me a time turner. Let me skip forward a year and a half, see where Bitcoin landed, and then just pop on back. Right. I mean, that's all you're asking. It's really a simple right. ask. Come on. Simple, just give this guy a time turner. Simple ask. <laughs> Um, uh, great. Okay. <laughs> um, I, uh, honestly, yeah, I, I, for mine this, this week, I just, I just want to be, be real and say that it's, I've, it's been so hard. It's so hard. I don't have a thing because, um, my life is just, 
it feels just like every day is sort of the same. Uh, and like, there's no, there's not a lot of new, there's still joy to be found in that, but like, uh, I just, I just, I'm, I am lost this week. So I've got, I've got nothing except for your generous donation of, I would like to get rid of you calling genitals carpet bags no 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 i want to live the next year i want to live through them and see what happens steven all right um but yeah so so that's where i'm at all right we can keep moving let's move on all right uh which so uh oh fuck i fucked it okay uh, <gasps> oh. uh no i fucked it up no 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 okay. oh gosh oh it's well. irreparable Take now me, break me make me a man because this is should we keep this the cultural review podcast you know and love and it's gonna be all over you like a fly on shit because we're going over the past 50 years of film music and television challenging your nostalgia because you insist on learning things the hard way but you're gonna learn oh yeah you're going to get at the question, how do you stay so positive? <laughs> I'm Stephen Moskis. I'm Gina Stevenson. And today we're talking about Boys in the Hood and Thelma and Louise. Yes, we are. And I'm so excited to talk about these movies. Holy hell, I am excited to talk yeah. about these movies. Do you uh, have any, uh, what is this, the year of? Um, well, it's funny because, yeah, they did both come out in 91. Right, um, the year of 91 this but uh way to put me on the spot because we don't usually do the year ofs I but i will say well we just try to say like what why were these movies were together you know it for me mm. is, is is what i've been thinking about just when mm. we're like making these so pairings it's like, what is it for the week of anyway? yeah and for me this i mean i think this is the pairing of this um i don't know this is if this is exactly the right language but i would say like movies about marginalized people trying to survive if that mm. you know what i mean perhaps yeah. um uh if that's the right wording but that's to me yeah like putting the why why these movies were were placed together this week right. um but yeah i started with boys in the hood i don't know which one you started with um, um i didn't start with boys in the hood however okay i think we should talk about it first my notes boys in the hood is first Great. Perfect. Yeah, me too. Um, great. Okay. So boys in the hood, I'll give us a little synopsis. What, 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 what? Is it, is that cause you started with boys in the hood? It is, but also just thinking about the two movies, I think it's nice to start with this one Mm. to not, I think it's nice to not, not to not end with this one. Um, yes, because of the alphabet. (laughs) Uh, no, no, just because anyways, whatever. We're going to start with this one. Cool. Great. Boys in the hood. So these both came out in 91. Um, and this movie is about a, a group of black men living in South Central LA, growing up together and trying to survive the the warfare that claims their streets. Is the sort of general thing of this movie. Uh, it starts in 1984, where we meet uh, Trey Styles, who's 10 years old. Um, he's very smart. Um, he's also got a temper, and uh, according to his teacher, a lack of respect for authority. Worried about his future, his mother, Riva, sends him to live with his father, uh, Furious, who she hopes will teach him how to be a man. Um, Trey reunites with his friends in his father's neighborhood, um, Doughboy, his brother, Ricky, and their friend, Chris. Uh, we see a couple of, you know, moments of them as kids and uh, Furious sort of, you know, teaching, teaching Trey about responsibility 
um, with a with a firm but loving hand, essentially. Uh, and uh, the last shot that we see of them as ten year olds is uh, Doughboy and Chris being arrested for shoplifting. So we see them kind of in the back of a police car. Um, we jump to seven years later when they're all young adults. They're all like seventeen. Um, it starts at a barbecue celebrating Doughboy's recent release from jail. Uh, we learn that Ricky has an infant son and is a star running back on his school's football team, and he's being scouted by college recruiters. Uh, but no matter how good he is at football, he has to score at least a 700 on his SATs in order to be accepted to college. Trey is mature and responsible. He's got a job at a clothing store at the mall. He aspires to go to college with his girlfriend, Brandy. Um, Brandy is a devout Catholic and doesn't want to have sex before marriage. Trey wants to have sex. That's also a thing that's happening. Um, and uh, one night they're all hanging out on the street and Ricky is bumped into by somebody from a rival group um, based on you know clothing colors and some of the language. The confrontation could seem gang related. Uh, they argue. Doughboy takes out a gun. They say that that Ricky is not in a gang. But the people who bumped into him were pyrus or bloods. I think you can be confident about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, yeah, I, it's never stated. Um, but that's why I'm saying, like, co- clothing colors and some of the things that Doughboy says, like some of his language, whether or not mm-hmm. Doughboy's in the gang, don't know. But, um, but yeah, that, yeah they, that's unclear. Right. Uh, anyways, they, yeah, they, it, they argue. Doughboy takes out a gun, threatens them with the gun, uh, and then they fire a submachine gun into the air they being the sort of rival group uh everybody kind of panics and runs away uh and then um later ricky and trey are outside going to the store when they're spotted by they see these same people they run um but ricky is shot and killed and we learned that same day he just got his SAT scores back and he got a 710, so he would have just made it. He could have gone to college. Uh, Doughboy and Trey, understandably uh, grief-stricken, you know, furious, all the things. I shouldn't use the word furious because that's also a name. Um, they decide to get revenge, plan to find and kill the people who shot Ricky. At the last second, though, Trey bows out, you know, realizing that it's not a good idea, thinking about his future. Uh, Doughboy and the friends, though, the other friends, they do find and kill the rivals in a parking lot. And the next day, Doughboy and Trey um, have just a final scene together sitting on Trey's porch where they question why America doesn't seem to care about the lives of black people living in their community. Um, And that's pretty much the movie. And then it has some super titles at the end where we learn that we learn sort of what happened to all of them afterwards. And Doughboy was killed soon after Trey goes off to college, um, as well as Brandy. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this movie made, uh, was, you know, a fairly low budget movie, 6.5 million. Um, and it made 57.5 million. Uh, this kind of connects to our do the right thing episode, because this mm-hmm. basically after, the success of do the right thing Mm -hmm. studios were basically chomping at the bit to get this uh, screenplay to sort of capitalize. Mm -hmm. Um, And John Singleton, the writer director of this movie Mm -hmm. 
had the idea for this movie basically going into USC film school and he worked on it, wrote the movie. And so when he was trying to sell this movie at 23, mm, God, right. Yeah. And studios were <laughs> chomping at the bit for it. They like, he was offered a hundred thousand mm. dollars to sell this script yeah. at 23. Mm. I mean, and he said no. Wow. <laughs> he said no because selling it would have meant that he basically he didn't want Steven Spielberg. He didn't want some like a Hollywood mm. white person who had no yeah. experience with what was happening in the script to direct it. Mm-hmm. And so he said no. Mm. And he was able, and and so he directed it. And he yeah. became, like, not only did he direct it, he also became the first African-American director to be nominated for the Best Directing Oscar mm. for this Amazing. movie. Right? Wow. It, his, and at, was he also the youngest? Like 23. Yeah, God. I mean, I think he'd probably have to be. I don't know. Yeah. I think I saw that somewhere. Yeah, I'll check yeah. it out as you keep going. But yeah. Wow. But um yeah, I mean this movie is full of firsts. Mm. Um even for the people who aren't a first, this is like a first for them. Um so like like I said this is John Singleton's first movie. He went on to make numerous films, um many being about um the black experience things like uh poetic justice um mm. and among you know among other movies and also an, an outspoken activist in terms of black cinema um mm-hmm. advocating against basically being comfortable you know, he, mm. he has passed, he died of a stroke, uh, around the middle of last year. And one of, you know, the things he had, one of the things I had seen him, one of the later quotes that it was a trip, it was attributed to him later in his life was about the state of black cinema. And that basically to be weary of like Hollywood buying this black content and making sure that the money wasn't basically preventing them from really um, pushing and telling black stories mm-hmm. that it wasn't just sort of um, presenting an idea that everything was okay. Um, mm-hmm. um, now this was Cuba getting juniors first major role. He had done a few bit parts beforehand, but then this movie, he did this movie and his next movie was a few good men, mm. um, which is wild to me because that is a movie just full of established actors. Um, Kiefer Sutherland, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, et cetera. Um, and then, yeah. And then he has gone, then he went on to win an Oscar for Jerry Maguire five years later. Um, mm-hmm. I will say I feel like I can't get out of the uh, – I shouldn't leave this section without saying, like, he does have a pending uh, sexual, like, assault 
allegation mm-hmm. from from 2019. Um, however, I, I don't know if you have seen it, but there's video footage. And while what happens in the video is uh, weird, mm-hmm. it is it is not what the is claimed to have happened. Um, so basically I just don't know. Um, but I feel like I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right. I feel like I should, I should, it should be mentioned, but it is questionable. Um, ice cube. This mm-hmm. is his first movie. Wow. Um, and I mean, basically he never made, he, he did make more music, but it was from here that he basically went into movies. And John Singleton is the one that said, you know, he said to him, basically, if you can write an album, you can write a movie. And so then he wrote Friday, mm. which came out four years later, is part of a you know major franchise. Then Barbershop, part of a major, then, you know, which had a, a life as a franchise. And now he has, you know, a... He produces lots of content. The TV show, Are You There Yet? Movies, Are You There Yet? Ride Along, all these movies. Um, and has become what could be seen as like, I guess you could see, it, see him as like a, I don't know, would you use the term magnate? I don't know. He's definitely a fixture mm. in terms of producing comedies mm. as, a, as a comedy writer and producer. Um, mm. Morris Chestnut, who plays Ricky, this was his first movie. Um, he was in the he was in G.I. Jane. He also was in the the Best Man franchise, like Best Man Holiday, Best Man. Mm-hmm. Um, then this is Nia Long's first movie. She was in um, she was his his girlfriend, um, mm-hmm. he, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s uh, girlfriend, and she went on to be in. Uh, Friday, which, you know, like meeting Ice Cube during this. She was in Friday. She was in the Best Man movies. She went on to do like 15 episodes in uh, for The Fresh Prince. So she has had a lasting career after this movie. Angela Bassett. Like, mm-hmm. I could not believe that this was like an establishing role for Angela Bassett. Um, mm. And then Two years later, she did What's Love Got to Do With It um, and Malcolm X. So, like, I mean, she was happening. Um, mm-hmm. But but still, this was, like, a major role for her. Even Lawrence Fishburne, who had been in Apocalypse Now, he was, like, in Apocalypse Now in, in 79. I mean, he had done mm-hmm. a, a number of roles, but the... And and he met John Singleton while John Singleton was a producer, not a producer, like a PA on uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse because he was playing Cowboy Curtis on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And so this was basically the turn that brought him into. I mean, father figure is not the role, but like, but yeah, in a way, yes. You could argue that Morpheus is a father figure type in The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but, and also in searching for Bobby Fisher, which is just like two years later or so, um, mm-hmm. he's sort of a teacher. He, he has a chess teacher, um, like a mentor, I guess you could say like 
a a mentor character that he still plays now. Um, so even though he was somebody who was established, he, it still played a major part in establishing his career and then or a ma- in the turning point of his career. Um, Regina King is the only one who was basically already famous. Um, she was in the the sitcom Two Two Seven. She was a principal uh, regular on that for five years, and then this was the first film role that she did after that. And then she's been doing mostly films ever since. So it was a turn from TV to film for her. Mm-hmm. Um, now the the references from this movie, um, the there aren't too many. The movie itself is referenced. I mean, for obvious reasons, this is not a movie to necessarily like parody or make jokes about. Um, I have heard people say like dominoes. um, And that is like definitely in reference to um, Ice Cube, like the first time we see him when we when it passes to the future and he's at a party. He's like dominoes, motherfucker. Yeah, Yeah. I have seen that. and and so yeah but 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 few and far between and then also kevin hart in um the movie get hard where will ferrell like just he's going to jail for white collar crime so he just the the premise is he just finds a black person and assumes that he's a criminal um and he's going to pay a lot of money to like learn how to be tough for jail. So Kevin Hart was like, uh, yeah, I'll teach you for a lot of money. And the, so the story that he makes up about having been to jail is just the story of Doughboy. Um, and that's, that's just like, Oh wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but other than that, the only thing that I could find, which thank God I looked into it and I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> This is list. I don't think it's really a reference to Boys in the Hood, but Veggie Tales. Um, what <laughs> they have a a boy band um, called uh, Boys in the Sink, <laughs> and I was like, "Hold the fucking phone!" So I was like, "I need to look this shit up," and it did. And um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you doing dishes? Hello. No. I'm sorry, multitasking. Am I boring I'm, you? I'm ref- no, I'm listening. I'm just refilling my coffee. I'm sorry. Okay. okay I'm done. Continue. Um, <laughs> Nobody was going to know. Oh, yeah, they sure. Were. They were, they were. Um, yeah, but then, um, oh, yeah, so Boys and Think, I listen to it. It's very clearly talking about, like, like boy bands, you know? So, it, you know, it. it's, like, a little bit boys it's not even but it's not even like soul it's not like boys to men it's it's just it's in sync so in the sync is oh in sync but sure but there is no you cannot get away from the fact that like to get around the the trademark of in sync they used boys in the hood um (laughs) it's like oh yeah like there's just no getting around it um Yeah. yeah so are we ready to vote now that you have your I'm coffee? I'm so ready. I mean, I needed it. Okay. Uh-huh. All righty. It's going to be a surprise, I think. It's going to be such a surprise. surprise. One. Obviously, we got to keep this movie for so many obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this, how have you, had you seen it before? 
no, I never had. I'd never seen, actually never seen either of these movies before. Me either. Yeah. It's, and I'm like, what the fuck? Why have I not, why has nobody told me to see these movies before? Not to, what? Well, no spoilers, I, I, but yeah. I mean, there's, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't understand while, yeah, Thelma and Louise is, is more Hollywood. I don't understand how I sure. got to this point without seeing Thelma and Louise, you know, right. Uh, yeah. Boys in the hood. Sure. And I yeah. can see why you like, you know, TNT, TBS, ABC, CBS aren't just <laughs> constantly airing this movie. It's kind of mm -hmm. a, a financial thing for them to like not promote these kind of images so that you don't question, you know, all of their other white movies that they're putting out. Um, right. But like Thelma and Louise for sure. But that's for, a few minutes from now. This movie is amazing. This uh, movie is so good. The, uh, I was, yeah. Sorry, go no, ahead. Go, ahead. Go, 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 go. No, I was just thinking about, uh, when I first was watching it, I couldn't, I, I like the movie, the two movies that maybe understandably or obviously pop into my head as far as like a lineage, um, like forward and backwards was of course, I was thinking of do the right thing. And then I was thinking about Moonlight as well in mm. terms of like the, the type, like, you know, going through the ages of, of, uh, growing up, you know, and all those things. And it was just like, uh, just a really, there was just so much beautiful, um, s just like simplicity and poetry as well, just to the, the script. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, just, yeah, I just really was so moved by this movie at the same time as of course, like, the sort of social commentary of it was like, was in no way uh, subdued, you know, like it was, but it never felt like didactic or like preachy or anything. Like it just was so beautifully constructed uh, and like real and surreal at the same time in a lot of moments. Like mm -hmm. there, the moment that especially stands out to me was um, there's a point when Trey is an adult where, or, you know, when he's the older version of himself when, right furious brings him out to um to to some to like a particular street corner i think in compton mm -hmm. they said um yeah. and he gives this speech about gentrification um and it's this incredible moment where like the whole neighborhood like s gathers around them in the way that like is very like pr not realism you know what i mean but like mm -hmm. they're all just like listening and like different ages of people and like the way the sort of like blame is cast around um within that moment where it's it was just like so beautifully structured and and yeah i just feel like the the sort of right. poetry of it uh is so vibrant right i mean that's the thing to see that said in 91 is like so it's like it's so, you know, I want to say wild to me, but the real, the reality mm -hmm. is it's foolish of me, um, mm -hmm. to, to expect people to not, you know, have like realized it or it, it not to be like a known thing in the places where it was happening. But like, you know, because the reason that he has gone to that corner is because there's a billboard about selling your home for mm -hmm. cash. Right. And and he's explaining like why a company would want to buy your home for cash. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on my, when I walk to the gym in the days when I could both walk outside and go to a gym, there is 
on that walk a mural on the side of a building that says beware of buyouts hmm. and it's the it's the exact same thing that like the company that is going to buy you out is not doing it because it's a good thing for you or because you're going to make remotely the amount of money that you're getting you know uh mm-hmm. they're going to get way more over and above yeah by getting you out no matter if they're paying you $30,000 um and so it just to see that in a movie and to see it in 91 i mean it's like it's both like like wow this was going on back then but then it it's also more like this double condemnation of like this is still happening now mm, um yeah and like it, it it can only be i don't know in my opinion like the the suppression really of both of these movies is that this can only be to like kind of keep us forgetting about it. Mm, Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because it's, it's more convenient not to, not to be thinking about this, these things for so many people in power. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It is, it is, it is absolutely more convenient if we, if people who are, you know, the, I guess you could say beneficiaries of a power structure to sort of not listen to the people who are on the, uh, I don't know, the being slighted or being taken advantage of or being beaten and killed. Mm -hmm. Like if you can stop them listening, if you can, Mm -hmm. can stop them as people from being heard, then you can stop, people from believing it yeah um yeah yeah totally i also at the when the movie was over i had this uh realization that i don't know if is as cool of an epiphany as it felt but i was just thinking about this movie and then again of course about do the right thing and also about moonlight i think this applies although i haven't seen moonlight in a while but um where i was like oh my god like in the uh, for stories for like typical movies like hollywood movies about white people like how they're you know that traditional structure of like and then there's like something that they want and there's like this call Mm -hmm. to action and then they go through all these things and do they get it do they not get it based on their choices or whatever um and then like but for for especially like these three movies that i'm that i just listed and like the the impression I get from these is like such a, is a different thing, which is for all these characters, um, if they can just like survive this moment, then they're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, but it's, it's about like, uh, it's, it's, there's no need for like big striving, like plot action. It's really like this feeling that the, and then the audience so feels of like, just please let them survive this thing that is like their world. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I, like- I kind of disagree with you. I mean, I think Moonlight, that's more true, mm. but I feel like the, 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 what separates Moonlight from Do the Right Thing and this movie is that 
I think both of those sort of go strike at the, or it's like the, the one of, you know, it's a determined point to be like the, this moment mm. is every day. Like this yeah, movie well, it's happened right. again, Doughboy two weeks right. later. And totally. it's the right thing at the very end it's the sun's rising and Samuel L. Jackson is going on the radio saying that it's about to be hotter today than it was yesterday. Right. Um, and that's what I mean. Sorry. When I say like this moment, I don't just mean like this one thing is different. That's the, actually the point is that like, it's not different. Like, like what right. we're seeing is like, just is life. Uh, and, but like in terms of structure or like, you know, the main characters, like choices and actions and like, you know, what they want or something like that. Like if they, yeah, that it is sort of like, uh, yeah, we like can if this if these characters can like uh, survive this this the it's almost like I mean it's more like stuck in the sort of like Act One world of of like traditional stories where it's like the world as is is the world that is uh, is the thing that is like the antagonist. You know what I mean? Of like, mm-hmm. can they? Can you just? Can you get beyond that? Can you get out of it? Um, versus like you know, the sort of, when I think of so many other movies about white people, it's like, you know, you leave home and you do stuff and then you come back or you come to some version of home or whatever. Um, but like the lack Mm. of the lack of like, uh, inherent, uh, assumption of like home is like the safe place or the place where like, you know, you've like gone and like leapt out of or something to to like do this adventure i don't know it just felt like there's a similar thing or there's something that that i was just thinking about in terms of um what the like antagonist i guess or like obstacle is in in like mm-hmm. in some of yeah, in those movies. I, you know yeah. it, it also i mean this i'm i'm kind of spitballing right now as you um are you know making me think of it because i spitball yeah, it it, it in the traditional like hero's journey, mm-hmm. you know, you have basically a foe, you know, and something that, and, and we can, you know, bring Moonlight back into this, but and most likely, you know, many other films, but these three prominent yeah. movies, um, totally. what you have that is like different from movies about white men. Cause I even, it's less true of Thelma and Louise, but it's still kind of true. Um, is that there isn't a bad a bad guy, right? Like the yeah. it, how do I put this? The bad guy is how, no the, the person that might kill you is not the bad guy hmm. in these in these movies. Um, yeah, totally. The, yeah. in, That's a great way to put it. You know, and do the right thing. Yes, the police are bad, but you. But one could even say that the police are acting out of that same system. But they are the bullies in the system, keeping it in place. But like, they are still working class people. They're not like making any money off of it. Um, and so in this, you know, Boys in the Hood, you know, most of all, like not only, yeah, they're, the, the, 
as Ice Cube put it when they're sitting in the like after the moment where the bloods bump into Ricky and they have a sort of standoff he he says um you know that's why people are getting shot here all the time everybody's acting like they like they're hard mm-hmm. and it's just an attempt to yeah stand like i don't know there's a, there's a million things the most simple of which is you know that it's kill or be killed mm-hmm. and then the most I don't know. You could also, there's a number of things, but I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things it like is almost reductive to start listing them, but totally. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that like holding the mirror up to that system. It, you mm-hmm. know, it also actually black Panther would be something to bring into this too, because in black Panther, you know, he, he's the bad guy. Um, Killmonger. Mm-hmm. but but he's not mm-hmm. the bad guy no yeah totally his 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 dad was not wrong mm-hmm. when he explains like why he wanted to you know expand wakanda and f- fight the oppression of black people throughout the world mm-hmm. and and so then you know killmonger's rage at that is also not i mean it's justified nope i mean he's we lost you steven he, he's like an anti-villain i think we we had talked about gray. this before Game but like 45 he's an anti-villain Let's write that down um steven are you there i know you mm-hmm. you went out uh you disappeared for a second but you i think we're back in business um yeah, you disappeared as well weird okay. freaking oh weird God. But, um, yeah, the, my computer ain't hot. We've been having some heat problems, but I got my hand on my computer. It does not seem hot. Um, the, um, but yeah, like in, in both of those situations, like Killmonger isn't the bad guy. The thing that he's doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Jesus. uh, Sorry. My, my upstairs neighbors, it's like, they are. Bang, bang, and bang, and bang, and I'm like, don't they understand that I gotta do a fucking podcast? This is not the fucking time. You can fucking roll your bowling balls later, please. Um, but yeah, that the that the even in a even in a superhero movie, mm-hmm. it, it yeah the it is not the bad guy that's the bad guy. I mean, I think that there's something to step back and say in a movie, in these movies, written by black people, directed by black people. You know, it, it, it's, it, you know, there, there is a discernible lesson to be learned. You know, if that the, the, the bad guy in this situation is not the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. whereas like in most yeah. movies, you know, pretty much any like, you know, white movie, mm-hmm. the bad guy is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, one of the things that struck me so hard in uh, two things struck me. Uh, uh, One of the first, well, fuck me, um, two seemingly trivial things on the list of things that this movie sort of treats as trivial. You know, I think one of the big things is uh, what can be learned from this movie is or why, you know, when we see in this age, our contemporary age, of basically sort of white frustration at the like the attempts to like diversify basically who are in roles and who are sort of on the creative teams for movies mm-hmm. that that there are things in this movie that are treated by this movie as trivial details that mm-hmm. if if it were happening that basically to a white person are not trivial details you know um things like the fact that when he gets told by the college recruiter that he'll need to take the SAT and he mm-hmm. says yeah i heard about that test mm-hmm. that is not the way that the majority of I'd, uh, middle class, we can say middle class people, I guess, probably for this one. Mm-hmm. But like the SAT was not something that I, quote, had heard about vaguely in my senior year of high school. Sure. You know, it was something that, I mean, in my public school, people took the, the, the pre-SAT. And obviously, that was 10 years later. So there maybe has been some developments, but the pre-SAT in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. You know, they start pushing you to start taking the SAT your sophomore year of high school. Um, and then he sort of vaguely heard of it. And when the day comes, didn't think to bring a number two pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the exclusion from that system is 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 yeah laid bare in that moment i mean the idea of like it being the most natural thing if you're going to take a standardized test you have a number two pencil and mm-hmm. it's something that he wasn't really aware of you know mm-hmm. it it makes me think about um this comedian named jamie loftus and she has a great podcast about her time in mensa and how mensa is and you know exposing it as really a um not a white supremacist organization but there is an official group that is a part of american mensa that is called american mensa firehouse that is very white nationalist um Mm. and it is an amazing four-part podcast but she continually re-emphasizes that the fact that she got into mensa as a joke Mm. is not that she it wasn't like she was doing a joke and was smart she was somebody through the luck of where she fell in the system was in the time at which she is growing up mm-hmm. exceptionally aware, uh, exceptionally sort of trained to take standardized tests like the Mensa exam. Right. You know, it, 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 it's, it's testing a particular kind of knowledge that is, that you have to be, that is training you for a particular kind of school that says particular things are valuable. Um, totally. And this was a, this 
movie was one of the one of the few situations where the SAT is presented outside of the way that I experienced it. And yeah. I, and yeah, I, I I found it shocking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I agree. And those little details. Yeah, right. Like you said, it was just sort of a detail um, that wasn't, you know, I, I felt like this movie really trusted its audience also in such mm-hmm. an amazing way of like, so even that, you know, being uh, just part of the story and not something to linger on, you know, and, and in so many of the other moments too, it was just sort of like information was communicated uh, really fluidly and efficiently without sort of hammering it down on us, you know, and even things like the, the mom Riva, she, in the beginning, you know, she's in school, she's in, I think grad school, I guess, or she's she's trying to get her master's, master's, right, right, right. Um, And, you know, and then when we see her later, like we never, we don't get more information because we don't need it about like exactly what her job is now or what happened, but we like see her in like, you know, her apartment, which is now a, you know, she's living in like a, a like fancy apartment with like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of sort of like more expensive things and, you know, like all these, and we just like see a quick shot of her on the phone to communicate. Like we get, we get to, as the audience to sort of like fill in all the subtext of like what that means, you know what I mean? And I, I feel right. like this, this movie does that uh, so well. And even like when we jump to the present day or like to the the future, period you know like uh it doesn't it it just sort of like is not kind of telling us what we need to know like it's it, you know trusting right. us as the audience to like be watching for details to understand oh that's that character that's that character right what happened you know like chris uh is in a wheelchair in the um present. that was the second detail like that was the second yeah. sort of trivial yeah. thing the idea mm-hmm. um that he was just in a wheelchair um, right, and some, it's never explained. I don't think like you it, know, it, we can it is explained assume. in oh, is when, but but very sort of in passing and part of the action, because mm-hmm. when Trey Cuba Gooding Jr. after Ricky's been shot goes in and he gets his his he gets his father's gun, loads the mm-hmm. gun, and is heading out um, to try to get revenge, and Lawrence Fishburne is trying to stop him, and mm-hmm. he's like. You know, one of the things he says is, oh, you're going to be like your friend Chris. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right, right. right. Um, so the implication is that he was, yeah. you know, in some sort of shootout and was shot and is now paralyzed. Um, right. But even that is not telling us what happened. That's what I'm saying. Like we. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. giving us basically enough information to go, you know, once we've gotten used to a detail. Mm-hmm. Go, oh. You know, and just sort of have that like filled in and you're right, it's just enough. You know, even even the fact that and this is funny, you know, this is just pointing exactly we're talking about exposure that um that that uh Doughboy Mm -hmm. you know, when they pull into that um the first time we see him in a car, it's this incredibly nice car. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have only occasionally lived in neighborhoods that have like a high um, percentage of people dealing drugs. Mm. And that's exactly what, I mean, in New York, it was project housing and the parking lot and all the surrounding streets with exceptionally nice cars. Mm. And, and so I knew what that was immediately. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and but that wasn't something that like, I don't know, wouldn't need to be explained to somebody, mm. you know, and then, and we don't even really hear, we don't see it until the end of the movie. And, and it's only like slightly at over halfway through the second portion that we really hear somebody reference that mm -hmm. he sells drugs. Right. Right. Um, also, I mean, let's talk about this movie in terms of Ice Cube, mm, his yeah. character. What a first character. God, I know. It's what, amazing. I mean, so his Ricky, the this star football player, is his is his half brother and is the golden child. And his mom is always basically favoring and pampering him mm -hmm. and then you know anytime there's like a scuffle or anything between him and doughboy she'll hit doughboy Do or, or punish doughboy and right. and he's he's always you know like they get in a fight um and then you know she comes in to try to separate him and she separate him and then she just slaps doughboy and mm -hmm. you know is like ricky are you okay okay he's like i'm fine because he doesn't want to be babied either, you know, he sees it too. Right. And then and then while she's having this conversation with Ricky, and Ricky's leaving, Ice Cube is there just going, What did you hit me for? Right. What'd you hit me That's for? So beautiful. He Why'd you hit me? What'd you hit me for? You know, right, it, right. and then yeah. and then when Ricky dies, I mean, first off, mm. the 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 scene in at the Something that we also see is that though they fight, Doughboy does everything he can to protect Ricky. And that's something mm -hmm. that we see in the very beginning when they're kids, mm -hmm. when his, he right. gets his football stolen, and there is just mm -hmm. a large group of, you know, late teen, early 20s people that, that have stolen it. And he mm -hmm. just goes to, like, pick a fight with them. Um, yeah. I mean, oh. there's no way he's going to win, but he did it because it was his brother. I mean, brother. he... Yeah. And so when the guy, when there's the escalation at the, like, on the, I guess I want to call it on the strip because they're not really, they're all just sort of hanging out. Um, mm -hmm. But when he gets bumped into by the gang members, you know, Ice Cube, he jumps right up mm -hmm. to protect him in that moment. And then, you know, they... When when they see that the car is driving around, basically looking for Ricky, the first he he runs out and goes drives trying to find Ricky, trying to help him. And then when he brings him into his mother's house, the, all his mom is just saying to him is, "What'd you do? What'd you do? You know, you did this, you did this, you did this." And he's like, "I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything." I mean, that is, yeah, just the one of the worst things to be seeing you know um yeah oh absolutely and you I can mean, just feel his yeah like he doesn't i don't know they have the difference you know of, of of he i feel like in that moment especially kind of throughout because of the way all the things you just mentioned about especially like him and his mom joe boy and his mom and like you know the way that she treats him versus his brother like but especially at that moment when she bring when you know they bring rick's body back 
um, I just call him Rick. His name is Ricky. Uh, when they bring yeah. him back and put him on the couch and like that scene is just so haunting because it's also like the, his girlfriend and their son, uh, who's an infant and then the mom and they're all just like screaming. And then Doughboy's trying to get the, the baby out of the room. So right, he doesn't right. have his father bleeding like dead. And then his mother screaming in the baby's ear. Like it's just so chaotic and so intense. And then, and then seeing, the mother, um, yeah, like like yelling at Doughboy in the way she does. You can just like feel in Doughboy's character, like the moment of like I'm never going to like he just feels doomed in that moment. There's mm-hmm. something about it, you know, like that he's just there's no, uh, yeah, like that he's never going to get this shadow, uh, get out from under this shadow that, and so sort of like we just kind of know that it's going to end badly for him, but I, I don't know. It's just like, was such an incredible scene, uh, in the like terror of the heartbreakingness of it. And then also like this feeling for this character of like, yeah, this is the end for him, you know? You know, and it, it reminded me also of the Godfather, um, mm-hmm. because it's something that was sort of implied by the Godfather. And I think it's implied by this one. Um, you know, when they, when they go to find the guys and, they find them in this, you know, at this burger chain and Mm. they shoot them at like, and then ice cube gets out the car and he's just going to, you know, finish the job, so to speak. When he gets to like the ringleader, the ringleader is just like, I didn't do it, man. I didn't pull the trigger. Like, why, what do you kill me for? I didn't even, I didn't do it. Mm. Um, yeah, it, 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 the reason it reminds me of the Godfather is like how when he goes to Italy, and mm-hmm. it's basically barren. And yeah, the vendettas. Yeah. Right. She's like they, they didn't die in the war; they died from vendettas. Where it's mm-hmm. like we just see in this moment that like, oh, he didn't pull the trigger, so now someone's going to kill him mm-hmm. because he killed somebody that didn't, right. you know, for no reason. And so now it's just this like never-ending daisy chain of vendettas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I thought that the, um, the presence of helicopter, the sound of helicopters, mm-hmm. like throughout the whole movie was such a incredible design choice because mm-hmm. like it's sometimes we see their, like their lights also just sort of like flashing through streets or like into right. houses kind of. Um, but like most of the time it's not really talked about and just sort of in the background of all that sort right. of daily life, we just hear, these helicopters uh, the police like you know uh, it's just uh, god yeah it just feels so incredibly uh stifled and stifling and and, you know abandoned in terms of the yeah and yet it's also just like a normal uh detail because if if you recall when quinn and i were living on um when quinn and i were living on 140 on Mm the on 140 and adam clayton powell there were these like NYPD light towers that used to come on at night. And then there was also like, they started an NYPD at one point, like sort of an NYPD watchtower crane. You know, these are just things that like, if I was filming a scene walking home that in the background would would just be sort of police surveillance equipment. Yeah. You know, um, 
So no, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I feel like because I mean, yeah, there's so many. I feel like we should move on for time, but um, yeah, because there, there's just so many details to talk about. But mm-hmm. how do yeah, you feel? I mean, it, I I do feel like that. I feel for the sake of the listeners, watch the movie. I mean, really, at the end of the day, if you have not seen this movie, watch this movie because oh, yeah. like you are getting a an infinitesimally small fraction of the value of this movie from us it would be right like fucking this is it's you know this is this movie is like bitcoin at ten thousand, and our ability to explain it is like bitcoin at 50 cents okay so so forget the fucking 2009 bitcoin fucking get the contemporary fucking bitcoin that is its fucking masterpiece movie okay thelma and louise here we go (laughs) um yes agreed 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 and now moving on uh thelma and louise okay so this movie also came out in 1991 um and it's about two best friends named thelma and cheryl just kidding and louise um so in the beginning uh so Thelma and Louise are setting out for a weekend vacation together in a fishing cabin in the mountains to take a break from their uh, lives in Arkansas, where they live. Thelma is a subdued housewife. She's married to a disrespectful and controlling man named Daryl. Louise is a hardened, sharp-tongued waitress uh, in an on-and-off relationship with this musician named Jimmy. Um, on the way to their vacation, they stop for some drinks at a roadhouse bar where Thelma hits it off with this flirty stranger named Harlan. Um, they drink, they dance. He takes her out for some air. Uh, but when they're outside, he tries to rape her. Uh, Louise comes out and finds them. She holds a gun to his head, which a gun which Thelma had packed just in case um, earlier, taking it from her husband. Uh, Harlan stops uh, and begrudgingly stops. Uh, The women begin to walk away, but then he yells some nasty shit at them, and Louise shoots and kills him. Uh, Thelma and Louise decide not to go to the police because, basically, as they say, no one will believe that he was trying to rape Thelma since people had seen them dancing together all night. Um, They decide they have to go on the run, and they plan to escape to Mexico, Louise refuses to go through Texas, though, even though it's the most straightforward way, um, alluding to a traumatic sexual assault in her own past that happened there and that she's avoiding the entire state because of it. Um, The women meet a handsome young drifter named J.D. who hits it off with Thelma. Uh, Louise arranges with her boyfriend, Jimmy, to to send them $6,000, and he shows up and brings her the money uh, and proposes to Louise, um, but she says no. Thelma and JD have some very great sex. Before that, she had only been with Daryl, um, and we get the impression that he was not a generous lover. Um, but the next morning, JD steals the $6,000, uh, leaving the friends basically broke, not sure what to do next. Thelma robs a convenience store um, because that's JD was, was a robber and kind of <laughs> told her how to do it. Uh, she and Louise continue their drive towards Mexico, uh, becoming freer and wilder and more in tune with themselves than they've ever been. And meanwhile, this whole time, the cops and the FBI are on their tail. Um, initially they just wanted them for questioning, but now their, their crimes are sort of piling up. Uh, so the chase is getting, 
getting bigger. Finally, cornered by authorities, Thelma and Louise decide to drive their car over a cliff rather than be captured and spend the rest of their lives in jail. Uh, it ends with the image of the car sort of flying through the air and then frozen as like a snapshot. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the movie. There's a lot of subplots that I've sort of skipped over, or things that have happened to them on the road, but that's basically mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, you know, this movie uh, was you know a 16.5 million dollar movie and made 45 million. So, like in terms of its cultural impact, I mean, it, it is for a movie that did not make much money mm-hmm. is 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 widely widely referenced um and it's seen as a feminist supplanting of the the road movie genre of like uh, friends going on the run um this movie was unlike boys in the hood mainly people who were already famous ridley scott who you know had already made alien blade runner um although delma louise was his first uh directing nomination um and he apparently was in a declining period of critical esteem, and this movie is what what brought him back. Um, you know, later on he will make Gladiator, which is another, which is when we will be seeing him again during our, for Best Picture. But until then, um, mm-hmm. this is also his collaborator on Gladiator. This was his first collaboration with Hans Zimmer as a composer. Um, he was already famous and we've already talked about him because he wrote, did the music for the last emperor. Susan Sarandon had already been working for about 20 years. Um, she has, you know, a little controversy in terms of, you know, a, a non-endorsement of, of Hillary Clinton, but who, you know, there, there are worse things. Um, and Gina Davis, she won the best supporting actress Oscar for Thelma and Louise. Um, this was unfortunately the opposite of being made by this movie. This was sort of the end of her time as like a major star. Um, 1995 long kiss goodnight is sort of seen as the end of that movie, like the beginning of decline and like, you know, doing the mom and Stuart little and things like that. But, you know, I think she's fine because she also like, she's gone on to found the Gina Davis Institute for gender and media and they, you know, an interesting study that her studio put on, you know, they worked to sort of balance the reputation, the representation of uh, women and non-binary people in movies. They did a study across uh, G through R rated movies, about 400 films and found that on average in at, at all tiers, there are approximately three men for every one woman. Um, yeah. So, um, that is interesting. And and that is like something that, you know, is of in the past 10 years, that study. So it's not like they're, you know, it's not like some sort of, we can, we can't claim that it's outdated. Um, that is a, you know, landscape of contemporary cinema study. Uh, and then we also have Steven Tobolowsky who, you know, the man, the myth, the legend, he was in eight films in 1991, so you know, yeah, he's he's already doing fine. Um, and then, you know, uh, people like Jason Bay he whatever he's in, like the Chicago PD or Blue Bloods, cop guy. He's that. This was his um, 
he was in TV, but th- I think this was his first movie, but he, he was the cop that gets put in the trunk. Um, he looks so young that you, he looks so young that like he's hard to recognize. But if you see him as an adult, you'd be like, Oh, that guy. Um, mm-hmm. now the three people that this movie made, um, was Callie Corey. The, this was her very first screenplay. And she went mm-hmm. on to write other screenplays like Something to Talk About, The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Mad Money, and the TV show Nashville. Um, Thelma's boyfriend, Michael. She also won the, won the Oscar for this, just want to mm-hmm. say, for Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. Okay, continue. Um, on the first, um, which is also like another thing that connects these movies, right, is that like these are both for, like – major impacts but by firsts by like mm-hmm. first time professional screenwriters um and then michael madsen who plays thelma's uh, louise's boyfriend uh this was his first major film he's gone on to be in like five tarantino films he's also an accomplished photographer and poet and actor and a children's health activist um and then this was also Bam, 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 bam. The first major role for Brad Pitt. Yes, it was. This movie gave us Mr. Pitt. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, now we both have talked that we don't. Um, we didn't have. You know, we haven't seen this movie. But the two. So um, it's so the two main things that that I sort of recognized and I like, you know, cause basically sometimes I'll be looking up cultural references and then watch the movie and say, Oh, this, whatever list missed mm-hmm. this thing that I would attribute to the movie. Um, I think that there's really only two. One is like the, the, the drive off of the cliff with, uh, sure. you know, hands clasp, you know, driving off the cliff. People just know that. And then also, um, you know, like a rowdy, the way that I wrote it was a rowdy gal duo. Um, <laughs> but it's just, you know, when people, when, yeah. you know, like lots of female characters deciding that they're not just, they're just not going to take it anymore. And so they're going to be like Thelma and Louise. Um, right. And, and so those are the main like cultural references. Did you see yeah. anything that you were like, Ooh, even not having seen this movie, I recognize this thing. Not Really? No. I mean, yeah, just the the only thing I knew about this movie, which is so funny because it's probably if you haven't seen this movie, the only thing you know about this movie is the ending, which is like, oh, too bad yeah. if you're watching the movie for the first time. Uh, much like with The Sixth Sense. But um, but I still got to uh, say, like, I, the, you know what? The ending, don't give – that is not like – No, yeah, it was really ending, powerful. Still. Yeah, yeah it, so much happens in the movie that is like so yeah. much – oddly to say it more interesting than the ending you know i mean like um because as we talked about the um you know with boys in the hood that the enemy is the system right you know we we haven't voted yet yeah so i can't talk about some of it the last thing that i wanted to say was um that in terms of reviews of this i did i found an interesting um uh, review by someone named Raina Lipsitz. She writes for The Atlantic, Al Jazeera, etc. Um, but you know, she wrote this in 2011, um, and she claimed that this was the the last great film 
about, about women. women. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, so interesting. Which also makes me think about um, J- John Singleton mm-hmm. as well. This idea that, like, you know, it is while like representation is wonderful, like you can still, you know, put your foot to the gas, like still fight the the system that is like happening. Don't put like I don't know. I don't I don't know enough to speak more, but to say that there are parallels mm-hmm. in that statement and John Singleton's statement about contemporary black cinema. Um yeah. but now Roger Ebert felt something that he said which I'm I don't know I kind of agree with was that he but I think that he is a little bit too dismissive that he doesn't like the ending I saw that that was like the only thing that he wouldn't he was like I would give it a perfect score except the last frame the last shot like goes away too fast right and I'm like yeah it goes away too fast like it doesn't commit to the ending but like at the same time it's like mm, dude that's so lame (laughs) right like if anything the only argument is like i don't know rhythm like oh Mm -hmm. it it should have been like two seconds longer or the car should have drifted out of frame and then faded to white but when he if you show the crash then you have a b movie you no, know, and I don't think that he was saying you should show the crash. I think he literally was saying, like, we needed an extra two seconds of white screen before the credits came on. And I'm right. like, yeah, I agree. But that's honestly also got nothing to do with the making of this movie in terms of right. talking about it, your opinion of the movie, <laughs> you know? Right. That's just like a post, that's an editing tiny choice. But anyways, right. yeah, I saw that as well. Um, but yeah, so you ready to vote? I, I am. I also just want to say, I, I there were also just in terms of reviews, some reviews or just general critical backlash about the movie being super like like misogynistic against men, uh, like anti male. Mm, sure. Um, and, and some like reviewers who were saying, uh, mostly men, male reviewers, but some women who were like, who were yeah, who were like, uh, this isn't. It's not a feminist movie. It's like a movie about two women who make like continuously worse and worse choices or something. You know what I mean? And so like people, people give, there was a a bit of, a bit of critical backlash, mostly, again, mostly from men saying that it was like Mm anti-man. But, uh, but yeah, just wanted to also add that to the pot. Let's do it though. Here we go. All right. One, two, two, three, three. Fucking yes, Ooh, gotta this keep this fucking this dope is a, fucking this, movie. God, this, baby. Is, this is my literally my I think my new favorite movie. I mean, this, this movie is so good. A fucking thrilling ass. Oh, it's hilarious. Ride, this fucking it's movie. thrilling. It's again the social commentary on it is so clear, but not uh, you know, right. uh, but also deftly handled and like God, the it's so well thought thought out, man, and uh fucking love this movie and it's such a perfect yeah all i knew about it was them going off the cliff and i'm like why is that all i knew about this movie and like why again why have i not been told i need to see this movie right um and like the fact that that's what we know of what the like cultural 
sort of like images of this film is like this sort of sort of crazy uh suicidal action but like god that is unjust uh, to the yeah. film for like the thing that it stands out because it's such an incredible look at uh at sexual like the way that our country not only deals with sexual assaults but also just about gender roles uh, right. and all of the variety of ways that that men can be like the all the very the wide spectrum capturing this wide wide spectrum of like relationships between men and women uh and like you know so it's so nobody yeah i just it's it's so it's so nuanced and and so well done yeah um, i would even go a step further and say that it is a wide wide spectrum of ways in which men abuse women yes you know i mean there there's arguably one man who doesn't but, but but he also does because he's are you talking about harvey Keitel? right yeah but like but also, his sorry yeah. his role it's just so interesting because yeah, i was thinking about this so much at, right afterwards um because like yeah every man in some way is shown to like abuse them in some way and harvey Keitel as this cop you know seems to be presented seems to be like no, like, you know, I'm, I want to help them. Like they're, they're good people. Like we got to do better, but that is entirely wrapped up in his patronizing attitude towards them because what he sees them, he calls them girls. Uh, and it's a beautiful moment at the end where the FBI guy, where it's the final standoff. And he's like, we got to come on those girls. They're, they're good people. Like we, whatever he says, like, we don't want to, we're They're going to shoot those girls. And the other guy's like, those women are armed and probably dangerous you know what i mean and so like he is also not he is also a different kind of harmful because right. he is creating this this myth this story of like uh i can save them they're just innocent mm. girls you know what i mean which is right. which is such a, again like this incredible complete spectrum of the ways that uh that because that i mean that's why like it I don't know that the word abuse for me like fits everything, but that's why I feel like it's, it's just this wide spectrum of like uh, the ways that men treat women or, or like, you know, uh, diminish women or, you know, in some way. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, yeah. the, 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 I mean, that that's exactly what I thought. And also kind of rounds it out, rounds an idea that I was having out even further that like, yeah, I mean, he is basically, you know, trying to sort of patronize and sort of appeal to their delicacy to get them to come in. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, to what? To what end? You know, mm -hmm. jail is maybe one thing, but what if they don't go to jail? What, she ends up back with her husband? Exactly. So he is the placating apologist for the her, you know, what would be ba being back with her husband, who is horrifically abusive and, as implied by the movie, cheats on her all the time, and at worst leaves her alone, and then presents it. It, it terrorizes her if she attempts to be alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and yet he will just sort of 
he likes his Friday nights. He will be off on his own on Friday night. Um, right. Yeah. And that's why like the, God, it's such a beautiful, complicated thing to see of like the more and more, the deeper and deeper they, Thelma and Louise get in their commitment to like being on the run, basically uh, the more and more free and like fully connected to themselves, they also get. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, we know they can't go back and like, we wouldn't want them to go back because we know what, what's there for them. And so in some, in this, like, and in this incredible way where it could have become, uh, you know, like a, like, I, like it, the way that it is both, it is like a real showing us the real world of like, they, there is no place where they can be that version of themselves in society. So it's sort of like, they have to do this. They have to die at the end because, right. because it's the only way they can like be free. And which is also just, I think like, Another thing, like thinking about Boys in the Hood of like uh, both real and sort of symbolic uh, uh, representation of like the sort of social, the comment it's making, where I feel like at the end, it's kind of like, it's a, it's like larger than life, the sort of chase scene and then the like jumping off the cliff. Um, but, and like what it stands for is like once these women like claim their power, uh, there's like no, there isn't a place for them back in the society that they came from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the even you know you you had mentioned that um the I'm actually I'm trying to like look up the the actual quote because what is implied almost by the um the what do you call it the when when they talk about going to the police it it is not just it, 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 well, how do I, I'm sorry. The subject of Texas. That's what I'm talking about. Um, the the idea that the the fact that Louise was uh, assaulted in Texas mm -hmm. is not necessarily the reason that she refuses to go back to Texas, because what you because there is this when they're trying to go when 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 Thelma wants to go because it's the quickest way to get to Mexico she goes trust me if you you know if you shoot a man basically what she says is if you shoot a man for trying to rape you in Texas the last place you want to be caught is Texas mm -hmm. so to me what that implies not only is that tr the trauma is not just the assault but mm -hmm. also yeah, what the, happened? Yeah, the, like the cat. Yeah, yeah, and the and so it's another instance of like the enemy is not just the perpetrator, but the system that did not bring justice to me and him. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and I think just like taking that even further, just looking at the way this movie, the way the movie shows us the complete, this incredible spectrum of like how somebody, how you process recent trauma. Like it's so, it, they're like the, we just get to see them really live what they've just done and what's just happened to them and what almost happened to them. Like all these things, you know what I mean? Of like the, the sort of like denial, the euphoria, the rage, uh, you know, like, the trying to pretend everything is okay. Like at different points in the movie, 
you know, we can like see their psyches, like, uh, like process a new part of, of what happened, you know, like, and it's just so it's incredible. There's like the one moment right after the assault where, um, Thelma is like trying to brush her hair in the car and like Mm -hmm. trying to fix herself basically. And like, there's just, it's also just Gina Davis. They're both were incredible. Um, and then like later many days have passed and out of nowhere, she starts like laugh, like giggling as she's Mm -hmm. talking through like, Whoa, he really didn't expect that. Like, boom, you know, and like just all the ways that this movie really is honoring and really trying to show the experience of like, how how this kind of thing is processed um yeah i also this i mean especially this was cemented in the last image where we see the car and then it becomes like a like a still frame shot and then it fades uh it's just like a perfect foil to butch cassidy and the sundance kid yeah Uh, it's so cool because you see throughout the movie in their in their behavior demeanor and then like costuming too Thelma and Louise slowly becoming more and more like cowboy like um, mm-hmm. like they you know, take the sleeves off of their denim shirts. They tie a little like denim ties around their neck. They get like a cowboy hat and a trucker hat from like different dudes. Um, and then the last shot of like immortalizing uh, and for unlike Butch Cassidy, it's not immortalizing this like cool act of violence, but like immortalizing this this moment of of freedom and like escape. Um, And so it's just so such an awesome, like, fuck you to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, in my opinion. Right. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, in such, in so many ways, because, you know, in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they go into that shootout because they're like, yes, Thelma's a bank robber, but that's not how the whole situation got started. Um, (laughs) The only reason they had to do it was, was, yeah, because they got, robbed by brad pitt and so like in that last standoff they're trying to kill the cops because the cops won't let them get away abusing people Mm -hmm. and yet the standoff with the cops and thelma louise is that they won't go back to being abused right exactly and they don't ever like aside from the first the murder that kicked it off like uh the trucker like there's there's just like all of their criminal acts <laughs> it's just so funny too god it's so it's a funny movie like seeing when Thelma like robs the convenience store you know she's like well all i did was and then we cut to like the the all the cops and her husband watching the cctv video of her like robbing the store you know really politely and like not hurting anybody or whatever uh and then and like it's just really jaw-dropping and hilarious and then uh there's this like trucker who they keep passing on the road um because like you know there's very few cars out there and and he keeps on like making all these like lewd gestures at them from his truck and saying stuff to them and finally they like have him follow them off the road uh, you know, and he thinks that they're going to want to have sex. And then they like, they're just sort of like, where did you learn? Like, what made you talk to women like that? Would you want it, you know, someone to talk like that to your mother or your sister or your wife or whatever. And like, I think you need to apologize. And he's just like, I'm not going to apologize. And then they like shoot up his, they explode his like truck. Um, but they don't hurt him. Um, and like, I just think, yeah, it's just like, so, well, the movie like doesn't really give us an opinion on their criminal acts. Like it doesn't, it also doesn't 
tell us like they're super justified in their crimes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we're Mm -hmm. meant to see their crimes. And even the first killing of the rapist guy, like he was walking away, you know, like we are meant to, I think question, like it's the movie is not telling us like, thank God they shot him because he deserved to be shot, you know, because, like, he was, he was, they were walking away when it happened. So I just feel like it also just, unlike Butch Cassidy and so many, like, cowboy movies like that, outlaw movies, westerns, whatever, like, the cr- the crimes are not immediately justified because mm. we understand, like, why, why the person did it, you know? Right. I am curious about, there's one scene, there's one, oh, really only one scene in the movie where I was like, I don't understand Hmm. this scene. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was the scene where the cops are at, um, oh shit, I wrote it somewhere, but I don't remember it, but basically at Daryl's house and they're watching TV and it's like some sort of like like romantic film and he changes the channel to sports and they mm-hmm. all turn at him and like scoff and he changes it back and we see him like quietly seething um, because he has to like watch some romance movie. And it's obviously a commentary on his like masculinity, but also what I didn't understand is what it was trying to um, comment about the, about it, like either masculinity as a whole or the cops masculinity. I thought so. I loved that scene and it was so short. It was just what you said. I don't, to me, I didn't see that he was like seething about it. It it seemed to me about so much more about like a comment on the, the sort of like displays of masculinity versus Mm. like the nuance of, of like, you know, how it's also an act to pretend to be so masculine, like and so like it start because it starts with them all watching this and we never see this the screen we just sort of see them like you know paying attention um including you know and and daryl is also like watching in the back um and then to me it felt like a test like let me change it back to football and see if that's like what we all need to do right now because we need to prove that we're all masculine but then as mm. soon as he changes football you know, that none of them want that. And so he kind of like quickly is like, okay, and changes it back. Whereas I feel like knowing his character, if like he was pissed about it, he probably would have been like, it's my house. Like we're going to watch football if we want, you know, but it, so it felt like this desire to be able to like be sensitive, you know what I mean? But in, but like the, the expectation is that you have to prove that you are tough and masculine. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like, to me, it was a, yeah, it was such a lovely little moment that also, yeah, didn't like damn men in general. You know what I mean? And and I love that this movie was directed by a man and written by a woman and like the the like yeah, that that just that's like a beautiful like it feels, yeah, I don't know. I don't exactly know how to describe this feeling, but like like a a, a desire for like allyship and a desire for a change and that like uh, you know, a male director can also like want that, you know mm. what I mean? Like that's was, and so like, to me, that scene kind of had, a, had that feeling in it of like, like, yeah, this, why can't we accept, why, why can't dudes do this when they're all hanging out? You know what yeah, I mean? yeah, I don't know. Question. So the, do, is it essentially this exact sort of thing that happened to me last night? I was watching a, this movie that is this amazing Swedish movie that 
it packs a punch. You watch it, and you are fucking... I mean, it's just like gut punch after gut punch, um, because it challenges basically everything that we think about, like what our lives are worth and what they are in general. Um, it's called Aniara. It's available on Hulu. It came out in 2018. Um, and I would watch it immediately. But hmm. one, at several points through the movie, there would be jokes made. Um, and like at tense points. And at the end, someone went, all right. Like once it was over and it was about like 30 seconds, the credits were rolling, um, you know, in a way that I thought was a little bit less egregious because it was done in a meta way, but still even doing it in a meta way implied that it needed to be done, which was uh, someone went, all right, who's going to make the fart noise, hmm. which was in and of itself just it's like, I'm not going to do the childish thing to break tension. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about doing the childish thing to break tension because I still need to break the tension because I want to basically not admit that I'm feeling something right now or get away from the feeling that I'm feeling right now. Um, yeah, totally. I think that's a really great analogy. Yeah. Okay, because I, yeah, I got to tell you, I, I would have been a cop in that moment as I hated it. <laughs> I was like, you can just, I mean, they were talking about, I was like, you, you know, you don't have to break the fucking tension with a joke. Everything, you just, you don't, you don't have to be sitting there just counting down the clock until you can think of something funny to say to give to the group because the, because we don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a movie. And like, also, don't just fucking say what's happening on the screen because it's the I'm here to watch the movie. I'm not here to figure out if you can figure out what might happen in the movie. So fucking shut up. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. It, it's just more ways to sort of run from the tension of experience. And, and so, yeah, I want like, is that something that, yeah, what's happening? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. Totally. Yeah, I can't. I cannot believe that this movie has not been. I mean, shit. I can't believe it had been remade at this point. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like, but yeah, there's no need. But it's because it's so well made. But it is kind of shocking. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, really, I don't want it remade because right. I don't think that it would be as. I don't know. I think it would be one a little bit more glamorous, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and the fact that it was made in '91 is like, just again, like, like where we weren't when, a time when the public conversation, the social conversation, was not already talking about these things that this movie was that like you said about Boys in the Hood, you know, it's the same thing with the like gentrification stuff and like it's almost like the fact that it was made then um is more important like people just need to watch this version like if it was remade it would feel kind of like of course right now it's a good idea to make a movie that's talking about these things you know what i mean but like 
uh, and I, yeah. You know, this, um, I can't help but feel like this is in in a way exactly like, well, we've, uh, I don't know, it's hard to say. Um, This is just like another one of those moments where like we, where I at least like my, the, the impetus I have to think that thought is, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways brought on by my thought that like right now has to be better than back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, right. I mean, 2020 maybe, but you know, in, in like 2010 and a few, in a little while afterwards, I definitely feel like, um, that, well, not that I definitely feel like my mom would say things to me uh, like, um, you know, that, that she was like, I think really things have gone backwards. Hmm. You know, that the, um, that things in the nineties were better for women. Hmm. Um, I mean, and she, she wondered if that was because of the Bush administration. I think also probably that the financial crisis sort of, um, made things worse too, because like basically, because it threatened the status of men. Mm. And so one of the ways in which men could reclaim status is status relative to women. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I wonder if it's less of like boys in the hood where they're talking and no one's listening, but did somewhere along the line, we stop listening. And so you and I, who sort of came into cultural consciousness later mm-hmm. are thinking, Oh, this movie was ahead of its time as opposed mm-hmm. to, Oh, our time is behind back then. Yeah. Yeah. I totally. No, that's super interesting. Cause I was reading some things about also like, I think 92 was the like quote unquote year of the woman right? when like, you know, all these women were in politics and all these things. And that like, you know, this movie coming out in 91, um, you know, that potentially having some impact on some of the, the movement and the shifts that were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but that now, hmm. yeah, no, it's really interesting. Right. Um, and like Angela Davis writes a number a series of essays basically in commentary about the decade of women and the various events that happen internationally commemorating the uh, a decades long focus on women's rights that I think was in the 70s um just because the the essays features in women race and class which if my memory is serving was published in 81 um, but, but what, yeah, was published in the eighties. So by necessity of the f- the final year of that decade being listed, some of them were in the seventies regardless. Um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't had a, yeah, I mean, it, it, so it is just interesting perspective to, or to interest there are important points to like temper our perspective of how much I don't know 
better things are now. Sure. Um, how much we've progressed. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, and even then it's like, because there are very like measurable differences between now and then that are great. And so is it less that things have gone down and more that there have been like trade-offs that like, that like certain aspects of that part of the movement were good while these other things were bad. And now certain aspects of the movement are bad while other things are good. I don't know. Mm. Um, Yeah. That is for someone (laughs) with, with much more, expertise in sociology than i am able to offer in this thursday midday podcast um (laughs) yeah believe it or not people we come out on wednesday but we record on thursday Uh, use the time turner to publish it the day before (laughs) exactly right so then i listen to it and then that's what i say on the podcast um Um, Um, awesome this was so yeah man what a good what a great week of movies to look at I really enjoyed this. We have done an extraordinary amount of bonus content for the 90s, like unlike any other. Sure have. And the fact that like this is what our fifth week. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So like like our fifth week of bonus content, which means a fifth week and what our eighth and ninth movie. I Mm -hmm. am so glad that we have taken five weeks to go through the 90s because we would not have seen this movie. I know it's true. It's true. And we wouldn't have fucking incredible fucking incredible go watch them right now please please Seriously. if there's a choice Seriously. between movies and this podcast uh choose the movies, the movies. Choose the movies. Yeah, yeah agreed um uh, amazing yeah and we're gonna bring we're gonna do two final episode bonus episodes of the okay. 90s so look out for those look out for uh, we're bringing you the clueless. We're bringing you the 10 things I hate about you. Not only are they teen comedies, but they are also adaptations of literature. Wow. Um, Wowie zowie. Wowie uh, Great. Well, we'll see you. We'll, so tune in next time for that. Um, we're Rock Rising Productions Podcast. Follow them. Follow us. Should we keep this? Follow Steven. Follow the end of the that's the end of the sentence. Yeah. Nope. And, and also, you know, rate and review us on i on iTunes. Give us those sweet, cool. sweet reviews. We love you. Pump up the algorithms. Algorithms <laughs> are important. Segue into more talk about Bitcoin. This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram. And if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.